Hey friends, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Herrick and I'm one of the pastors of Restored Temecula and I want to welcome you from wherever you're tuning in. Uh, we're going to continue in our series called Jesus Is, where we've been journeying through the Gospel of John and we've been seeing through different episodes, through different encounters with people, through different uh, moments in Jesus' life, who he is. And we are right now in a section of the story where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. So it's a moment that's tense. It's a moment that's really difficult. It's a, it's a moment where it's really hard to follow Jesus. And so I want to really encourage you to follow along with me today. I think we're facing a moment right now in our nation, in our world, where it's really hard to follow Jesus. Uh, but there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of help, a lot of encouragement in these words that we're going to read today. And uh, so I, I want to encourage you, stick with me today. I think there's something for each of us uh, in this text this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. And I'm going to welcome you to, I'm going to ask you to pray uh, that God would open up hearts yours and everyone else's heart to receive what he wants to say uh, through this powerful text that we're going to read today. So if you'll join me. Father, I want to thank you that you are the one who gives us understanding, who gives us, uh, who gives us the means by which we can understand who Jesus is and then the boldness and the power to actually follow him in difficult times, in difficult, difficult moments like the one that we're living in right now, like the one that they lived through early on in the time of Jesus, and really the times that churches lived through ever since. I thank you that our moment, although it's difficult and challenging, uh, and in many ways it is unique, there's, there's still like a familiarity to it. The church has always gone through difficult times, and there's wonderful good news for struggling saints. And I pray that this message, uh, that you would use it, that you would work through it, that you would um, really spotlight King Jesus through it so that we would walk away refreshed and encouraged for the week ahead as your followers, as your people in this world. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for uh, what you're going to do through this message. We love you, Jesus, and we're really grateful for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start with uh, with a story. I I don't know if you guys have watched the show. There's a show called The Crown on Netflix. Some of you maybe have. A lot of you probably haven't. But uh, it's a show that's really fascinating. It tracks the, with the life of the royal family. And so you, we get to see and kind of get to know who they are as they encounter these significant moments in the history of England, um, the monarchs of England, or the world, or both. And I recently watched an episode, I'm into season four now, and I recently watched an episode that I thought was so fascinating for this moment that we're living in right now. So backdrop here, uh, this episode actually takes place in the early 1980s, so you know, almost 40 years ago. And uh, for those of you that aren't uh, English history buffs, uh, around that time, there was a very famous, very well-known Prime Minister, uh, Margaret Thatcher, and, and the country was like having a really tough time uh, economically, and they had like really high inflation, prices were out of control, and so Margaret Thatcher, she adopted some policies to address that, and uh, she got some of, the, some of the problems under control, but at the same time, those same policies that kind of helped curb inflation actually led to, you know, policy has consequences. And so the consequence was deep recession and three million people out of work. So there was a lot of pain associated with it. And I'm not really interested in the policy side, to be honest, I'm not an economist, I can't speak on that stuff, nor do I have any interest. 
But I want to speak on the personal side because this episode of, of The Crown really highlighted and focused in on uh, people and how they experience this difficult moment. Uh, Three million people in the UK, it's a lot of people out of work. And so it kind of tells the story, a remarkable story about Michael Fagan. He was a man who uh, was born in England and uh, he, he's a guy who was basically caught up in the wake of the fallout of the policy changes. He was swept up in the unemployment and the recession and he was really struggling at, at this point in his life. And so he sort of put forward as like, as like a face to try to understand this moment. And, uh, and so he was struggling to get work at the time. His personal life was really in shambles. It was falling apart. He was separated from his wife. His wife had his children, so he didn't have his children with him. He didn't have his wife with them. Uh, he lived in a flat as what they call it, like an apartment, and it had water damage. And so he needed to repair the water damage in order for social services to allow him to have visitation with his kids, because basically it wasn't safe. And in order to repair you know, something like that, you need money, but he could not get work because of the conditions. And so he's in a tough spot. And he actually goes in uh, to a government office to kind of talk to his elected officials and representatives to say, hey, things are really hard, things are difficult and painful and, and we need help. And so this, this man, he, he hits a dead end though. Every time he tries something, he hits a dead end. And so he actually gets one of the, the, the local officials is kind of sort of funny, I, I don't know, not funny, but he basically, tell, the local official says, hey, Margaret Thatcher's my boss. Sorry, I can't help you. And so Michael Figgins is like, so what am I supposed to do? And the elected official was like, well, you can, uh, you can talk to the opposition leader, so the leader of the opposing party, or if that doesn't work out, you can go talk to the queen yourself. And so, you know, the response was kind of cheeky. Uh, and, if, and in the show, you know, Fagan, by the way, this is a real person, Michael Fagan's a real person. He, he really tries different ways to solve the problems that he's facing. None of them work. And over the course of time, we see his response kind of morph into, hmm, Go tell the queen, eh? If you say so. And so, this part happened in real life, although it's, this is a show where there, it is, you know, um, there's an art, artistic license taken. Uh, this did happen. <laughs> One day, Michael Fagan uh, jumped the fence at Buckingham Palace, and he went inside the royal palace. He like helped himself, he looked around, he helped himself some food, some drink, he like sat on the throne for a bit uh, before he was spotted and then he ran off and he was able to get away. Incredibly, he wasn't caught. And apparently security, even though there was a break-in, security remained pretty lax. And wouldn't you know it, Michael Fagan broke in again just a few weeks later. He broke in a second time to Buckingham Palace. Just incredible. This time, uh, he got around the inept guards again and he made his way, he found the queen's bedroom. So this is like six or seven o'clock in the morning and he found it and he lets himself in. True story. She's sleeping. And so he wakes her up and she's like, who are you? You can imagine this scene. Unbelievable. He's basically forced his way into having an audience with the queen. Now the show depicts a dialogue between them and you know, that there's, 
there isn't a transcript as to what they actually talked about. So there's, there's a lot of artistic license. But I think what the show was doing, it, you know, even though there's probably a lot of fiction in the dialogue, the show was trying to actually capture something that was actually very revealing of the human plight that people were experiencing in England at that time. So I want to tell you, here's what happens on the show in, the, in their depiction of that conversation. The queen is startled, naturally. So she says, what do you want? Do you want money? And he's like, no, but I don't want money. I don't want, I don't want anything from you. I, I just want to talk to you. All I want to, I'm not here to hurt you. I just want to talk. And I want to tell you what's going on in your country, in our country, because you either don't know or you don't care. And the queen responds, she says, of course I care. Like, I'm, I care very deeply indeed. And Michael Fagan says, well, I thought it'd be good for you to meet someone who normally you wouldn't meet, who can tell you, you know, how things are going. Everyone you meet is on their best behavior, kind of bowing and scraping, and that's not normal. And as the conversation kind of continues, uh, he explains that he tried everything. He tells her, like, I wrote letters. I, I went to elected officials to tell them, and nothing helped. And then he turns to the queen, and he says something that I thought was so uh, insightful, enlightening. He said, you're my last resort, someone who can actually do something. And he explains the situations that people like him are facing in the country at this point in time, in the early 80s. Really difficult time. And, you know, the, the interaction's interesting because she's a little bit dismissive. Uh, she's, she's like, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, things aren't as bad as, as you think. And he's like, no, it's, it's actually way worse than you know. The systems of government are failing us. And, and kindness and community are, are disappearing from, from our nation. Now, what's he saying? What was he saying, essentially? He was saying, I think he was saying this, like, come alongside us and help us. Plead our case on our behalf. Like, amplify our voice. Which I thought was just so, such a powerful depiction of that in that one scene of just a normal, ordinary, broken human being who crossed a lot of boundaries to get into that space. But at the end of the day, if you, if you look past that, there is a, a hurting person looking for help and going to someone who could actually provide that help. Because he was in distress. And as I've been thinking about this message, as I've been thinking about our church, as I've been thinking about what we're all experiencing and going through, I feel like these are distressing times. 2021, it feels like it's like up the ante from 2020, if that were possible. At least that's what it feels like right now. It's early in the year, I know. But it is hard to be a follower of Jesus today. It is. Uh, we, many of us feel isolated. Many of us feel overwhelmed by just the demands of this new life that we're living during this pandemic. We're exhausted. We are confused about what's going on all around. Our nation, it feels like a powder keg. It's about to explode. Our national discourse, it's toxic. We're struggling with conflict in our homes. We are struggling with disappointment in our hearts. And we haven't been able to gather on a Sunday in months to experience the refreshment of the Holy Spirit together as a corporate body. Sometimes things feel helpless and a bit hopeless. And many of us are hurting. And I started off the, the 
message with this story about Michael Fagan and the, from The Crown because I think it reveals something about times like these, whether we're aware of it or not. I think when we are in distress, I think it, it's, it's often a cry, the longing of the human heart for someone with power to help us because we have things that we're here to do, to accomplish. And I think that story really helps illustrate that really well. And so today for this message, we're gonna read just a couple of verses. It's just John 15, 26 to 27. But in these verses, we get a window into the heart of Jesus. So we got in, in the crown, we got a window into the heart of the queen and, and what she does in response to the cry of a hurting person. And, and here we get a, a window into the heart of Jesus because he is going to tell his disciples who are facing distress, who are facing hardship, he's gonna tell them, here's, here's what I'm gonna do for you. Here's my response. And so I think this, is, this was obviously for them in the first century, but I also think this is for us in this 21st century where we are going through a lot of hard things for us to really listen to these words and take them to heart. So turn with me over to John 15, 26 to 27, and the words will be on the screen. Here, I don't know, somewhere back here. So here's what, here's what it says. It says, this, these are the words of Jesus. He's addressing his disciples again, who are going to be facing distressing situations. They're going to be facing persecution, hardship. Jesus is telling them, they, this, the world, like it's going to hate me. It's going to misunderstand me. It's going to, it, they're going to persecute me. And we see that exemplified on the cross of Christ where he died. He was falsely accused, beaten, mocked, and put to death. Jesus says, they're going to do that to me. They're going to do that to you. And so th that's the context. So it's heavy, it's tough, it's, it's hard. So here are the words, John 15, 26 to 27, the words of Jesus, he says this. He says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. There's a lot here to unpack, and I'm going to do my best to, to keep it concise. But there's some things that I think you need to know about this word counselor. So verse 26 says, when the, Jesus says, when the counselor comes, and he expands a little bit, so he says the spirit of truth. So this is the, this is the spirit of truth who is going to come, and he is going to testify about Jesus. So what is that word counselor? What, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's, a, it's Greek. This was written in Greek, so this is an English translation. It's, it's a Greek word, it's paraclete. And this word has been translated actually in a bunch of different ways. If you, depending on the Bible translation that you're using, uh, ours, the CSB says the counselor. Uh, other ones will say helper, advocate, comforter. So a bunch of different ways to describe it. And some of the commentators that I was reading were saying, this is a notorious hard, notoriously hard word to translate into English because there isn't one word that captures all of it. All of the different kind of rich layers of meaning. It's very, very hard to capture that. With that said, when the, when the Gospel of John was written, it was meant to be read in one sitting. I think you can do it in about two hours. So we're like working through section by section, section by section, that's how we teach and that's what makes sense. But Keep in mind that these, this would have been read in one sitting. And so they would have heard 
this word paraclete before. So I'm just going to kind of quickly fill you in. Here's all of the different times that, the, that John uses this word paraclete to describe God's spirit. And here's how he describes the paraclete. So John says, the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he dwells with you and will be in you. These are the words of Jesus that John is recording for us. He dwells with you and will be in you. So there's a presence. There's an indwelling presence. The, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who will indwell you and be with you. It also says that he will teach and bring to remembrance whatever Jesus has said. So there's going to be a sense in which the Holy Spirit teaches his people about what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit's also going to bring conviction to the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. So this is all under this, this idea of paraclete. This is all explaining, fleshing out what that means. And it's a lot, as you can tell. Uh, the Holy Spirit will guide the people of God into all truth and declare the things to come. And will ultimately, this is the big one, he will spotlight Jesus. And he'll take what is Jesus's and he will actually show it to the believers. In this context specifically, so those are all different uh, explanations of different times that John has talked about the paraclete, or that Jesus talked about the paraclete that John recorded for us. But in the context of verses 26 and 27, the ones that we are focusing in on today, this, I think, is what, what it means, what paraclete means. And, and it has been translated as advocate uh, in some translations. So let me read you a quote that explains it. It says this, When the advocate came, he would testify to the truth about Jesus. Such testimony was largely a defense of Jesus in a hostile world. Listen to this. A world that hated him because he told it the truth it did not want to hear. I just, when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness. That captures so much, I feel like, of our modern world. Big responses to things that we don't want to hear. And Jesus often said things that the world doesn't want to hear, that sometimes we don't want to hear about everything. He says things about uh, <laughs> our tongue, our money, our sexuality. He says he has things to say about everything, and we're not going to like all of them. The advocate, he, the, the Holy Spirit, makes a defense of Jesus in a hostile world. In this action, the advocate would function in the standard way a paraclete would in the ancient world. And here's the key. Providing testimony in favor of a friend who has been accused. Jesus, in his life, he was accused. He was hated, like we talked about last week. And there's a, a reality that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus in a hostile world. And I hope that that is comforting to you as it has comforted me. Because the reality is that we can't make anyone trust and obey Jesus. We as disciples, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, we do have a call to go out and make disciples in the world to help other people trust and obey him. As we define it here at Resort Temecula, to trust, to obey Jesus, to enjoy him, and to operate like him in every area of life. That's our call. But we can't convince anybody of any of that. We can speak, and the, the text itself will tell us that the Spirit helps us to speak, and he will infuse our speaking with power 
and conviction for others, but at the same time, we can't, we can't make anyone believe and trust in Jesus. So hopefully that takes some of the pressure off, because I know like right now, a lot of us are at home a whole lot, and many of us are struggling with the people in our households, whether that's a, a family member, a sibling, a parent, a, a child. We are struggling because there's pain and there's tension and there's all kinds of, sometimes there's bitterness, sometimes there's this desire. Uh, if, if we could flip a switch, we would to change someone in a moment, but that's not how Jesus operates. If we want to see people trust him, walk with him, obey him, it's the spirit who testifies about Jesus. And it's also the Holy Spirit who empowers us to speak. So you have a role to play, and I have a role to play in helping put a spotlight on Jesus, which the Holy Spirit does, but he works with us to do it. So hopefully that's encouraging. On the one hand, encouraging because it's not on you. On the other hand, there is a level of responsibility that we do have to partner with God's spirit to see the spotlight. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, you're listening in on kind of an insider conversation, but I'm glad that you're here. So this is a little window into what following Jesus is about. We, put a, we wanna put a spotlight on him, on his words and his ways. That's why we're here on this earth. And we long for, in these moments, like the one we're living in right now, we long for help, which like Michael Fagan did in, in the early 80s. And much like the disciples, to get back to the text, at hand, much like the disciples, they would have longed for in the midst of persecution for help. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you help. I'm sending you the paraclete. I'm sending you one who will convince the world about who I am, who will show the world who I am. And you are to partner with him. And I hope that that helps to bring a little bit of refreshment and encouragement to you uh, today. It's not on your shoulders, it's on his, and he's promised to come. To quickly summarize what I've been saying, I think this will, this will help. This is a, a couple of quotes that I thought were really helpful. Jesus uses two names for the Holy Spirit. Okay, advocate, which in our, in our case was translated as, as the counselor, and the spirit of truth. The word advocate or counselor really conveys the, the helping, the encouraging, the strengthening work of the Holy Spirit. And then the spirit of truth, it points to this reality of the spirit teaching, illuminating, and reminding. This is part of his work. He teaches, he illuminates, he reminds us. So he ministers, the spirit ministers to the head and to the heart, and both dimensions are, are essential. So I know I just said a lot of things. If you wanna walk away with two things that you could just quickly write down, this is what I found to be the most helpful way to think about the paraclete from this text and from really the surrounding text in the context of John. There's really two things that are crucially essential for the disciple to remember. The Holy Spirit gives us spiritual understanding and he gives us boldness to speak. Spiritual understanding and boldness to speak. And for the original audience, so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says that you, you, you're gonna testify because you've been with me from the beginning. So these disciples, they actually, um, it's remarkable what happens to them. They go through the most painful moment imaginable. Their, their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi, their king, Jesus, was killed on a Roman execution rack. 
and they scattered. I mean, Peter denied Jesus three times and the rest of them scattered. So the, the, the mission looked lost. It looked like it was over and done with. Um, but we see that something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the grave into newness of life. And he is now one who brings a new creation. There's a new project that God is bringing into the world to make everything and everyone new. And now these scared, frightened disciples would ultimately become the people that he would start this new humanity with. And they would go out into the world, the frightened, scared disciples, and they would go out and they would proclaim him. They would testify to Jesus, the risen king, who sits on the throne of grace, forgiving humanity and welcoming and beckoning humanity. Come to him, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And we will partner in making this world beautiful and ordered and more and more what it was supposed to be one person at a time. So these disciples become people who proclaim that. And if you keep reading the story, if you read the book of Acts, the things these disciples do are absolutely remarkable. Frightened Peter, who denied his Lord three times to save his own skin, the Holy Spirit impacted his life in such a way where he actually proclaimed the message about Jesus. And at one point, 3,000 people chose to trust Jesus, to obey him, and become his followers. I mean, that's the power of the Spirit at work in the life of disciples. So if you are here and you're hearing my voice and you feel your own weakness, and this has been a dark, isolated time where it feels like the Spirit, that Jesus has been far, that maybe the truth about who he is has been, it's not been, it's not been filling you. I just want you to have courage. I want you to know that he can change things, that he is a God who starts fresh with people. And today is the day where you can actually give yourself over to being someone who who lives to testify, to bear witness of who Jesus is in the world. And by the way, I know that we're in many ways isolated. Um, this This isn't limited to the... This could certainly, this kind of life of testifying to who Jesus is, certainly includes your neighborhood, your workplace, and so on. But it, it starts in the home. Um, if, for example, if you're a parent, uh, it starts with pointing, spotlighting Jesus in your home, in your interactions with your children, in your interactions with your spouse. Um, it, if you don't have to be a parent, this could be with your roommates, um, this could be with your coworkers, and it could be with your neighbors or whoever God puts in your path you have the opportunity to put the spotlight on Jesus and he is with you and he is for you and he is powerful and he can give you spiritual understanding as to how to do that best. And he can also give you the boldness to speak that we so often need and so often lack. I know this from experience. And so, man, I I just want to encourage you. I want the spirit to refresh you because I know we're a weary church for many of us are very weary. And as as a pastor, that breaks my heart, but I also have hope in the Holy Spirit and in these promises, in the spirit of truth who puts the spotlight on Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you. Let me just quickly tell you uh, a a very quick story about what this has looked like. Um, This was just from earlier today. I had kind of a difficult moment where I just became aware of something that's happening that's that's hard, where I feel like... um, 
I feel like misunderstood. I, I feel like I've spoken and said things about Jesus that haven't necessarily been received in the way that I would have wanted to. And I'm facing just a situation that's really uncomfortable and kind of tense. And I felt um, overwhelmed by it, honestly. I think things are so charged in our culture right now that it's just, it, it feels daunting just to sit down and have a conversation with someone who may have a different difference of opinion. Civility has gone out the window in, in a lot of cases. And so if I'm honest, I'm just kind of scared and, and kind of bummed out. And so I was thinking about this text. I'm literally preaching on how the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual understanding and boldness to speak. And he's our comforter and he is with us. And so I, I just turned and I said, Spirit, please comfort me. Spirit, please, please comfort me in this moment. Please be with me in this moment. Please help me. I felt like that call, that, um, that desire to appeal to the, to the higher power, to the sovereign, if you will. Uh, and what ended up happening was, I felt like the Spirit reminded me of something that I had heard this morning. I was listening, I was just walking around with my headphones, and I was listening to John, to the, the Gospel of John, I like listening to it on audio, and I, I heard the words of Jesus. I heard him as he was falsely accused, and he was arrested, and he was going through this uh, kind of pseudo-trial that wasn't really a trial, that ultimately led to his execution. Um, at one point, he was slapped in the face. And he, he turns to this person and says, if I've said anything wrong, show me what I've done wrong. But if I haven't, why do you hit me? And it was like that was just like, I could see that scene play out in my mind. And it was like the spirit was reminding me of the reality that in this world, if I want to follow Jesus, which I do, I want to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. If I want to become like Him, that I'm going to have moments where I'm going to be misunderstood. I'm going to have moments where I might get whacked across the face, if you will, uh, figuratively speaking, where I might get hurt. But that no matter what happens, Jesus has gone first. He has experienced it all. He's experienced betrayal. He's experienced being misunderstood. He's experienced being beaten physically. He's experienced like psychological torture. He's experienced being mocked. He's experienced it all. And he did it for love's sake, to love his enemies. So I just felt like, oh my gosh, just comforted and strengthened to then step into the situation to proclaim the truth about Jesus. And that means like if, if, I, if I messed up, if I did something that I need to take responsibility for, I can do that. The gospel frees me to actually take responsibility for my part in a conflict. I can say, yeah, I can see your perspective. I can see where you're coming from. And I, I hurt you. And I'm so sorry about that. And I want to grow in this way. Or if there's like points of clarification, the gospel frees me to say, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think we're hearing each other. Here's Jesus. Here's, here's the truth about Jesus. And of course, like I said earlier, we can't make anyone believe Jesus or trust him or obey him. The Holy Spirit is the one who shines a spotlight on him, but we speak. So I just wanted to share that with you just so you can see how this is like playing itself out in my own life. And hopefully that gives you courage that you can actually cry out in your toughest moments, in your most painful moments, you can actually call out to the Spirit. And you can ask him, Spirit, please comfort me. Spirit, please be my advocate. Please be the one who defends my name. 
I need my name defended. Just like the, the Spirit is the advocate of Jesus and testifies to Jesus, I think that the Holy Spirit can also, as his followers, he will defend us. Even if others don't defend our reputation or our name, the Holy Spirit in the heavenly courtroom will defend us and will vindicate us. And I hope that that is sweet encouragement to you as you face difficulty, as you face situations where you feel misunderstood or maligned. The Spirit is our advocate, and He is the advocate of Jesus. So, with that said, spiritual understanding, boldness to speak. These are the things that the Holy Spirit, He does in our lives. He gives us these things, and I want to encourage you today. Like, what what do you need to follow Jesus today? Do you need spiritual understanding in a given situation that you're facing? Do Do you need the Holy Spirit to really Put the spotlight on Jesus so that you can see him, so that you can know him, so that you can trust him, so that you can obey him. Or do you need boldness to speak? Do you already know, man, there's a, there's a situation that's in front of me that I want to speak into that I think Jesus wants to, to heal, Jesus wants to help, Jesus wants to transform a person or a situation, and I have words to say about that, but I'm scared. I don't want to rock the boat. Um, I feel like in many situations and cases we're walking on eggshells these days. Like I don't, uh, I'm scared or I'm I'm, I'm unsure of myself. Well, he gives us the boldness to speak. And we see a powerful way that that happens later on in the book of Acts. I don't have time to get into it today. But when believers come together and pray for boldness, heaven responds and shakes the earth. I mean, that's literally what happens in the story. But he gives boldness to these people, these disciples, who are much like you and me, normal, ordinary people, to proclaim him, to put the spotlight on him, and the Spirit infuses those words with power. So is there a situation or a person where you want to speak into, where you need boldness or spiritual understanding? I want to encourage you to pray about that today. I think this is important, too. I just want to ask the question very practically, what is your message? I want to take just a moment, take a step back. What is your message? Is Jesus the message of your life? I think that's really important to ask that question. How do you know? Well, what do you talk about the most? What fills your social media wall? What, What do you long to show others about yourself? These are some of the questions that you can consider and think through. Think like, what is, what's most valuable to me? What do I love most? What's on my heart that then comes out of my mouth? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'm guessing that for lots of us, right now, especially in this season, it's probably not Jesus. There are probably other things that are occupying a lot of space in our hearts, in our minds, in our imagination, with our hopes and our, and our dreams. And so I want to simply say this, if your message, if it's not Jesus consistently or in a growing way, there is a possibility that you may need to, just like I was talking about earlier, for some of us, we need to ask for spiritual understanding, for boldness. For some of us, there's other aspects of our relationship with the Spirit that we need to press into. Understanding and boldness are are elements of our relationship with the Spirit. We're asking Him for these things. But we might not need that as much right now. We might simply be hurting so bad that we need the Spirit's comfort. 
that we need his comfort. Let me read you a quote. This is from N.T. Wright. He's one of the premier biblical scholars, New Testament scholars in the, in the world. He wrote this about this idea of the paraclete as our comforter, the spirit. He said, one word sometimes, one word is sometimes translated, you take the paraclete and translate it, it's sometimes translated as comforter. And he says, comfort is a strange and wonderful thing. Have you noticed how when someone is deeply distressed, after a bereavement or a tragedy, the fact of having other people with them, hugging them and being alongside them gives them strength for the next moment. Then the one after that, then the one after that. Outwardly, like nothing has changed. The tragedy is still a tragedy. If they've experienced loss, that person isn't coming back. But other human support, it, it changes our ability to cope with disaster. It gives us strength. And when the spirit is spoken of as comforter, as the comforter, this kind of extra strength to meet the special need is actually in mind. So remember the context of our verses, disciples in distress needing assistance to maintain their testimony of Jesus on the earth. And as I was chewing on this, as I was praying on this, I think it's important for us to remember when we are going through deep distress that we may not maintain our testimony of Jesus in these distressing times if we're not experiencing the comfort of the Spirit. Some of us are going through yeah, the pain and suffering of division, of injustice, of separation. Um, some of us feel misunderstood and all the stuff I've talked about. Feel angry or feel like other people are angry at us. Man, if we don't experience the Spirit's comfort through it, there's a good chance we will struggle to maintain our testimony about Jesus and our spheres of influence. Yet, if you do experience the Spirit's comfort amidst the mess, then you will want to testify of the goodness and mercy of Jesus. So you can ask him today, Spirit, I need your comfort. Spirit, I need your comfort. That is a great prayer. Last thing that I want to say, and another reason I think we're, that Jesus sometimes is in our message is because we don't actually experience him as our advocate. The spirit of Jesus is our advocate. Let me tell you, let me read a quote to you. So I, used, I talked a little bit about comforter and how that's a good translation. Advocate is also a good translation of paraclete. So here's a quote. It says, an advocate stands up in a court of law and explains to the judge or jury how things are from his or her client's point of view. The advocate pleads the case. Jesus assumes that his followers will often, listen to this, will often find themselves as he found himself on the wrong side of official persecution. He saw the situation as centuries of Jewish tradition done before him in terms of the heavenly law court. With God as the judge in that court, his people can rest assured that their case will be heard, that God will constantly be reminded of their plight because the Spirit will plead on their behalf. How good is that? By the way, it says, Paul says much the same in Romans 8, 26 to 27. Just big, big ideas, big verses uh, in, in the history of the church that people have meditated on. And there is this reality that God will constantly be reminded of the plight of his disciples because the Spirit will plead on their behalf. How good is that when you are spoken ill of, the Spirit pleads on your behalf and God is reminded of your plight. 
Do you have a relationship with God's spirit, with the paraclete? Do you know him as comforter in your pain? Do you know him as your advocate in, in, in times of injustice when you are wronged? Do you know him as your helper when you need spiritual understanding and when you need boldness? Do you know the Holy Spirit? If you, do you want more of him? If you do, if you're a disciple of Jesus, do you want more of him? I think he's beckoning us to wake up from slumber for some of us, to embrace the call to walk in the Spirit. How do you need the Spirit's help today? The last thing I'll say. How do you need his help today? Do you, do you need an awakening? Spirit, help me to wake up. Do you need spiritual understanding for a difficult situation? With a child, a difficult situation with one of your children, with a housemate, with a spouse, with a difficulty at work, with an, econo an economic challenge that you're facing, where you need help and understanding. You can ask him. Or do you need boldness? You need boldness to speak the truth about Jesus, to put the spotlight on him. Remember, the Spirit is with you. He's helping you. He's your advocate. I want to finish with this, really, uh, just thinking back to the opening story about Michael Fagan. He broke in to talk to the queen. Now, what's interesting is that after he broke in and he talked to the queen in, in the episode uh, of, of The Crown, he, he gets arrested, naturally, but the queen does talk. The queen speaks on his behalf to the prime minister about the plight of the people. So his voice is amplified. He did have an advocate. And I just want to remind you that we have an advocate who pleads our case on our behalf. He points to Jesus and he pleads our case on our behalf. And we don't need to break into the throne room of heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ, he has made a way for us to have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we can come to that throne of heaven in our time of need. Why? Not because we're awesome or because we're righteous in and of ourselves, but because Jesus has gone before us and he paid the way with his blood to cleanse us and wash us of our sin. We have access to the spirit. You can talk to the sovereign of the universe, not just the sovereign of England, like Michael Fagan did. You have the sovereign, the ear of the sovereign of the universe. Do you want to talk to him? Do you want to have a relationship with him? He cares about you and your distress. And he wants to make you effective in your witness as a disciple of Jesus to who he is in this world with your children, with, your, with whoever, your, your co-workers, neighbors, and so on. So I want to call you and invite you into a time of worship where together we can lift our voices and praise this good king who sends us his own spirit and presence to be our advocate, our comforter, our helper, the one who gives us joy in the midst of all of this difficulty and challenge. I want more of him. I hope you do too. Grace and peace to you, church. Hope you enjoy this time of worship.